The epistle lesson comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. You can find it on page 1,122 of the Pew Bible, and I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's holy word. From Romans 8, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. No condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is just about the sweetest declaration we could ever hear. No condemnation. It's not a little bit less condemnation. It's not 50% less con condemnation. It's not even a doorbuster 75% less condemnation. There is not even a scrap of condemnation that remains. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever it is that you may feel condemned for, it is completely gone in Jesus Christ. We often feel condemned, though. We might think, Man, if these people knew the stuff in my past, they would want nothing to do with me. Or maybe even if they knew the stuff that is in my 
present, they would kick me out of here. Last week, we talked about those habitual sins, the ones that we know are wrong and we want to do right, but we keep doing the evil that we hate. Even the sins that still persist in our lives fall into this gracious category of no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no means no, none, zero. And why not? Why is there no condemnation? And why do we so often feel like there is? First, let's talk about why we often feel like there is condemnation. We feel like there is condemnation because we know that we deserve it. In our consciences, we know God's commandments. Now, our consciences, they might not get God's commandments right 100% of the time because we are corrupted after the fall into sin. But most of the time, our consciences are right. This doesn't mean, though, that our minds always have it right. Sometimes our minds and our consciences are in disagreement with one another. There's a little bit of a distinction between them. We can persuade our minds that evil is good. We can justify sin in our minds. But the conscience, you'll find, is harder to trick. Sometimes we just decide that something is okay. We rationalize it in our minds, and the whole world might tell us that it's okay but then we still feel shame and guilt. That's because the conscience is a little bit different than our mind, and the conscience is harder to trick. Now, the conscience, it can become numbed through long-term resistance to it, but as long as the conscience is still working, it still convicts us of sin. And this is not a bad thing. This is actually a good thing. This is what the conscience is supposed to do. It's not pleasant, of course, but such is the case with many good things. The conscience is supposed to convict us of sin for a few reasons. One, so that we'll hopefully sin a little bit less and not cause as much harm to our neighbors. But also convicts us so that we will know our need for a Savior and seek forgiveness in Jesus. When we know the answer to a guilty conscience, then it is good and safe for our consciences to convict us. But if we do not know the answer, well, then it just condemns us. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And why not? Because God condemned all sin in the flesh of Jesus. Hear what the scripture says. This is verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. All that sin that we feel condemned for has already been condemned. How did God condemn it? In the flesh of Jesus. Now this is perhaps the most shocking and maybe even the most offensive teaching in the entire Bible. God the Father condemned Jesus. He did. God condemned God. The Father condemned the Son. Jesus became sin, and the Father judged him. The Father punished him. Jesus was being completely truthful when he cried out from the cross in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He really was forsaken of God. He bore our sins in his body 
and God poured out his wrath upon that sin. He condemned all sin in the flesh of Jesus. Now, this might be the most shocking and offensive teaching in the entire Bible because it seems so unfair. It seems so wrong that God would do this to his son. But the father did not do this against the will of Jesus. From the foundation of the world, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect agreement that this must happen. And so the Son willingly and joyfully bore the sin of the world. He wanted to do it. It was painful, I assume, not just for Jesus, but also for the Father and the Holy Spirit. But they knew that this must be done. And they did this not in hate, but as an act of love for you and for the entire world. And this is why I can say, without reservation, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how big or bad your sins are or how many they are, Jesus was condemned in your place. And so anytime you feel condemned by God, remember that whatever you feel condemned for has already been condemned in the flesh of Jesus. It was already condemned. It was already punished. It does not need to be condemned again. Therefore, there is no condemnation. The condemnation was taken away by Jesus, and you have received his righteousness. And Paul says, that God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Therefore, you are righteous. It's not, it's not just a matter of God taking away the condemnation. It's also a matter of him putting something good, something wonderful and perfect in its place. Your sin is taken away. And Jesus' righteousness is given to you in its place. And so condemnation is taken away, and God's favor rests upon you. That's the end result of this. That is God's purpose. He declares you to be righteous. And this is what we see in the first four verses of this reading. Then verses 5 through 17 contrast the flesh and the spirit. These are the two basic ways of living. A Christian may live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. And we mean Spirit with a capital S, as in the Holy Spirit. An unbeliever lives only according to the sinful flesh. But God has given his Holy Spirit to all of his children, and he calls us to live according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and this results in a meaningful and substantial change. Think about this. You with the Holy Spirit, should be different than you without the Holy Spirit. Right? Yes. So what does this mean? Does it mean that we should do more good works? Yeah, absolutely. Does it mean that we should commit fewer sins and cause less harm to our neighbors? Yeah, definitely. Does it mean that we will become sinless? Of course not. Our sinful flesh will not improve at all. It is just as evil and vile as it ever has been. But there is a new spirit which lives in God's Holy Spirit. Does it mean that people will like us more? Maybe, but also maybe not. Even if Christians are 
kinder and more generous than anyone else in the world, which seems to be true, Jesus warns us that we will still be hated by all for his sake. It doesn't mean that we will be happier. Not necessarily. There is a definite joy that comes in knowing Jesus and having assurance that our sins are forgiven. But at the same time, there's still a struggle with sin. If anything, the struggle with sin becomes more intense for Christians than for unbelievers. If you have the experience of having lived only in the sinful flesh, you might not have cared all that much at that time about your sin. Maybe it didn't bother you very much. Maybe you kind of enjoyed it. But being a Christian probably means that your sin bothers you more than it used to. You probably, you should have a greater desire for your sin to cease. And this is a godly desire, but it's one that won't be satisfied until the resurrection of the dead on the last day. On that day, we will experience transformation, and that struggle with sin will go away. So while we wait for that, we live with a longing to be better. We want to be better, even though we're not realizing that yet. And Christians, we live with one foot in this world and one in the next. We live with a sinful nature, just like everyone else in the world. We also have a new nature. We are in Jesus Christ, and God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so we're constantly pulled in different directions. And this can be actually kind of confusing and a little bit painful sometimes. So God calls us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. The difference between flesh and the Spirit is the same as the difference between death and life. Paul says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. If we set our minds on the flesh, if we follow the sinful desires of our old natures, we will be pulled away from the Spirit. We will be pulled away from Christ, and the end of that is death. It is a return to condemnation. Instead, set your minds on the things of the Spirit. So what does that mean exactly? I suppose it means a lot of things. I'll mention a few at least. It means that we seek to know God and to know his word. We treasure the scriptures and we seek to know and understand them. It means that we call upon the one true God in every time of need. And it means that we seek his virtues. For example, in Galatians 6, Paul lists the fruit of the spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are virtues that the Holy Spirit works in God's children, and we should desire them. We should desire to have a greater measure of them. Sin will still remain in us as long as we live. And so we should not try to measure ourselves by checking that fruit. This is a mistake that a lot of Christians make, and it leads to a bad place every time. Here's the two ways that it can go. If we look to find fruit in our lives and we see some good works, we will be led to pride, which is sinful. And this can tempt us to trust in ourselves instead of the one true God. It can tempt us to take credit for what God has done. There's a word for that. It's blasphemy. Or we might look for fruit, but our sin still stands out, and that leads us to despair. And both of these outcomes are bad. And so we need to be careful about this, okay? Seek virtue, live by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that means to confess them and turn away from them. But do not try to measure 
your performance. This is one of the worst mistakes that we could ever make. Do not try to measure your performance. It always leads to pride or despair. Seek virtue, but measure yourself by the same standard that God uses. Jesus Christ and his righteousness. No matter how many good works you do, you will never come close to comparing to the righteousness that God gives to you. And no matter how much your old sins persist, and no matter how much they plague your conscience, they cannot undo the righteousness of Jesus. So live by the Spirit and trust the grace of Jesus. That is the Christian life. And so a Christian can live by the flesh or by the Spirit. And so we might be tempted by the flesh to take God's grace for granted and just indulge the flesh. St. Paul talks about this in many places, a few different places in Romans and in several of his other letters. My paraphrase of all those passages, these are my words, not Paul's. This is my paraphrase. My paraphrase of his teaching in all those passage, passages. Don't be stupid. I'll explain what that means. Yeah, you could indulge the flesh, but why? Is that really what you want? Is that who you want to be? Having been freed from slavery and death, do you really want to go back to it? And Paul says, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We need to accept the reality that as humans, we are debtors. This is true for every single person in the world, whether they realize it or not. We are debtors either to the flesh or to God. Everyone belongs to someone or something else. There is no such thing as a human free agent, and we all need to come to grips with this. If we don't come to grips with this, we will remain slaves to the flesh, and the end of that is death. Everyone who thinks that they're free from any authority over them is a slave to the flesh, and the end of that is death. But all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so think about this. Would you rather be a slave or a child? And it's not even the difference between being a slave of God or a child of God. It's the difference between being a slave of death or a child of God. So don't be stupid. Would you rather be a slave to the worst thing ever or a child to the good and gracious God? And so when we're tempted with sin, and this happens quite often, you know, ask yourself, who am I? And how do I want to live? Answer, you are a child of God. So how do you want to live in that moment? Do you want to live as a slave to death, or do you want to live as a child of God? And take comfort, especially, in the reward for who you are. A slave gets nothing in the end. A slave to sin gets only death. But a child gains the inheritance of his father. An inheritance is not based on what you do, it's based on who you are. Or to say it even better, it's based on who you belong to. And so the children of God inherit his entire kingdom. This is the reward for all of God's children. We receive it because of what the Son of God did. He was condemned in the flesh so that we would receive his righteousness. 
All who are baptized into Jesus Christ and who trust in him have no condemnation. Your condemnation is taken away, and you are given Jesus' righteousness instead, and you are named a child of God. So live in the Spirit and fear no condemnation. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.